Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash bookshow. Then go over to morbidlybeautiful.com as we are now part of the Morbidly Beautiful Podcasting Network. Everybody here dies by dawn. Dead by dawn. Welcome, welcome to the Spook to the Show. show. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the All-American Spook Show. I'm Josh and I'm joined here with Donnie, Yo. Tiana, hey. and the Professor Smook. What's up? Once again, as, as already the early 2024 tradition, Will is not with us. He had some other stuff going on, so he, he couldn't make it, which is uh, unfortunate for sure. But, uh, you know, hopefully he'll be back next week. But it, it's also ironic because... This is the movie that he picked. He chose this movie, and we're going to be talking about the cult classic, They Live, from 1988. So it's unfortunate for him that he couldn't be here, but it's fortunate for us that we are here and that we got a chance, had a legitimate excuse to watch this yet again, right? Like, I'm sure this is one we can get out on Front Street that we've all seen multiple times, right? Certainly, yeah. Uh, We just saw it, like, two months ago. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, like, I can't, this is one of those ones for me. I can't even tell you how many times I've seen this movie. Yeah. It's been Same. a dozen times at least, you know, over, over my yeah. life. Um, always been a favorite of mine since probably the early nineties. Cause I didn't see it in 88 when it came out. It was some years later, yeah. but probably early to mid nineties. And I've watched it tons of times. Uh, yeah, since I'd, then, so. I'd probably say about the same time, about mid nineties, I guess. Yeah. So even though this isn't a cult corner pick, it, it feels almost like a cult corner selection. So uh, speaking of which, next week will be Colt Corner, and we'll, we will tease at the end of this show what we're going to be talking about next week. But it, trust me, it's another good one. Back to mm. back, man. We've got some pretty, it's pretty stacked right now. Then that will come crashing down the week after well, that. The next one. <laughs> and we'll, we, might, we might have to mention that at the end, too. But anyways, um, before we dive into this one, though. We want to throw out there that you should go visit aaspookshow.com, the center of the Spook Show universe. From there, you can go to our YouTube page, where every month we have Video Vortex, Grindhouse Gutter, Hammer Horror in Order, where we've kind of realized on Hammer recently that we had skipped a few movies. So right now we're kind of doing Hammer Horror in Order addendum. We've gone back and uh, tried to patch some of the holes that we had left out, you know, because the whole gimmick there is that we're watching the movies in chronological order. Well, we're kind of out of order right now. But we're trying to fix that over the next couple months. So uh, stay tuned over on our YouTube channel for all those shows. Also, from aaspookshow.com, you can go to our, our podcast archive, all 195 past episodes. Plus, actually, I think there's a bonus phone in there. They all live in the podcast archives, which you can find on the website. And, of course, our Patreon, patreon.com slash aaspookshow, where every month you get a video mini-sode, including the Library of the Professor, and also... The much maligned on our part, much loved on your part, Crapster Peace Theater, where this month, actually, uh, um, this Friday, Crapster Peace number 23. Good God. We're all the way up to number 23 on Crapster Peace. That's crazy. Uh, but we'll t- be talking about the Stallone classic, Stop or My Mom Will Shoot. So we'll see whether that's a, a, a steaming of a turd as some of the more recent ones. We'll, we'll find out. But. Yeah, that you can only listen to that by going to becoming a patron over on patreon.com slash a spook show. So we, we encourage you to do that and help out the show. 
So uh, without any further buildup, we'll go ahead and toss to the trailer for They Live. What do these things want, and why are they here? You still don't get it, do you, boy? They have recruited the rich and the powerful. They're running the whole show. Wake up! They're all about you, all around you. Blind us to the truth! Take a look. They are safe, as long as they are not discovered. I don't know what they are, or where they came from, but we gotta stop them. Stay away from me! Put these on. They have us! Look at them! They're everywhere! We have no other choice. I don't like this one bit. Leave it alone, man. It ain't none of my business, ain't none of yours. We have been lulled into a trance. Listen to what I'm saying to you. We're in trouble. The whole world's in trouble. Control us! You're sending some kind of signals on a TV sets. I've got one that can see. Mama don't like tattletales. Now we start spilling some blood. Let's go! Push the I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick And I'm all out of bubblegum. Yeah, that actually that reminds me. You know, we we talked about uh, uh, the magic mind. You know, yeah. last episode. Yeah, we were talking. Yeah, that's right. We were talking about that last yeah. week, and uh, we we've actually partnered with them to uh, kind of give everybody a discount. But we, we can kind of describe exactly what it is before we get into that. Like this is more of like it's an energy drink, right? But it's more of like something you drink with your energy drink. So like, I guess with your energy drinks or your coffee or your tea, whatever you have in the morning to kind of get you going. You can drink a, a, a little bottle of Magic Mind with it in the morning, and uh, you can get like a full day's boost of energy, and uh, it kind of helps helps you focus, which is all going to lead to better productivity, right? Yeah, I I actually did try it, and uh, um, you know one one thing about you know kind of my experience was like uh, energy drinks, you know they they keep me up all night. I'm usually uh, up until the next day. Uh, which is dumb, but, uh, and they also, you know, just kind of increase my anxiety and kind of make me wig out every now and then. But, uh, um, yeah, since, uh, you know, trying magic mind, I, you know, I do, you know, you talk about, you know, feeling focused and I, I feel more productive, uh, certainly less stressed and, you know, not as anxious as, um, and something else also is that I'm actually sleeping better. Well, I think that re- I think that really goes into what the ingredients are, the stuff that's in it, like matcha tea. Yeah, uh, it's got ashwagandha, which that's uh, specifically there to help reduce stress, stress and anxiety. So, yeah, I take that anyway. I take little uh, little ashwagandha gummies, which I still take. Yeah, so the, um, there's a little boost with uh, your daily yeah. magic mind, and it's also got lion's mane mushrooms and cordyceps mushrooms. So it's loaded with all all that good stuff if you're into uh, the natural ingredients type stuff that this is i think this is the thing for you so really what you want to do is you want to go check out their website magicmind.com slash j-a-n all american that's uh our our uh our link to get you there and you put in the code all american 20 that's right it's all american 20 
all one word, and that will give you an extra 20% off, which gets you to a total of 75% off. Now, this that code that we just gave you in, the, in this whole thing that they got going on this month, that's till the end of January. So, uh, once again, it's magicmind.com slash J-A-N All-American, and then you put in the code All-American20 when you're checking out. Uh, you, you, you know, the benefits, I think you'll see the benefits like we did. We tried it out. Yeah. And uh, I think you'll enjoy it. So check it out. So like we said, this is one that we've saw we've seen multiple times. Uh, kind of a cult classic favorite, not just of us, but of a lot of people, I'd say. And it's one of those movies too. When I was doing a little bit of the background, you know, dig around, um, it wasn't necessarily a highly successful movie or anything like that. So it kind of does fall in that cult criteria too, of like something that was not necessarily loved by the critics and everything at the time. I think they kind of. I don't know if they across the board kind of shit on it at the time in 88, but it wasn't highly thought of until there was kind of a, you know, reemergence on the cult scene, so to speak. And then some of the critics kind of gave it a second look. And now they look back on it like, oh, this is one of John Carpenter's masterpieces. But at the time, I don't think there was really that that feeling about it. Right, Smoke? No, I think uh, they I guess at the, at the time they, they thought there was too much heavy, heavy handed social commentary. At that point in time, you know, where well, I think it took some year, a few years for that part of it to sink into the consciousness of people, I guess. Yeah. And people see it now as more of a, you know, I think that social commentary aspect of it is is more appreciated now than it was then. Yeah, this is definitely, I wouldn't necessarily say hand, heavy handed as much as I would say he is not being subtle here, right? Like, that's not, not, that's not the point of this movie. I mean, he's. He's going for the jugular of consumerism and all that, you know, the, the feeling of the eighties of Reaganomics and all that stuff that were going on at the time. Right. I mean, he's going right for it, but, yeah. and, and maybe that at the time rubbed some people the wrong way, but I think, you know, yeah. It, it, if you think about the eighties, as much as we all love the eighties, because we grew up, all of us yeah. grew up during that time period and everything, you know, it's very, it was very plasticky as far as like the consumerism yeah. was just rampant. At that, I mean, it's, you could say it's even worse now as far as consumerism, but yeah. uh, at that time it was really just, everything was seen as, in your face, extravagant, exaggerated, and yeah, the consumerism was everything. And like you said, it probably did rub some people the wrong way when you start <laughs> pushing that back in their face that you know maybe yeah. you shouldn't be doing you know this spending this much money on stuff you don't need or whatever. Yeah, the, this way you're living and this consumerist lifestyle and everything, you, you you should probably pull back. You know, and people don't want to. I guess that's the point, right? Like you don't want to you don't want to remove the filter. You don't want to, <laughs> you know, you just want to keep living your life and just be happy, man. Just go with the punches, be happy. That's the whole point. Right. Um, yep. a lot, you know, one thing that I realized about this movie that I've never even paid attention to before. I don't even know if I knew it or if I got it or what, but the fact that it's based on a short story from 1963, which was called eight o'clock in the morning by, uh, the Ray Nelson. Yeah. I had never even realize that until just watching it and paying attention to the opening credits more so closer this time around all the opening you know, and that popped up and i just always thought it was completely a 100 percent original john carpenter thing but the thing is i haven't read that short story and now it's going to make I, I am going to probably have to track it down soon and read it just to see i mean it's 1963 so there can't be too it's got to be mostly carpenter coming up with this stuff relevant to the 80s at the time when it came out so but the structure of the story comes from that short yeah, for, from what I understand, they he did change a lot. Like, yeah, the the basic structure of it is there from that original story, but he took it and ran with it. You know, it it, it is a different different take because I think in that one, uh, they everyone, I think there was some hypnotism going on in that original story. I think that was kind of the 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 human race had been hypnotized and that these aliens were 
controlling everything that way. Not, not quite net similar, but not quite the same way that they do it here, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that Carpenter had actually acquired the film rights to not only that short story, but apparently there was a comic book to just to write the screenplay. And, and I think he did change the name to write. I think, uh, what's his name? And this is John Nada or something like that. I think is yeah. his name. I'm talking about, I actually, we, we don't know his, uh, we don't know his first name. It maybe just, that, maybe that's what it was. I think in the original story, his name was John, <coughs> John Nada, I think, but then they changed it's just it. Nada. Nada, yeah. It would be interesting though, to go back and read that because that was originally published in like a magazine too. So it's probably not a massively long short story. You know, I know it is a short story, right? It's short, but like there are different degrees of short stories. Like some could be like literally just a couple pages long and then others can be like, you know, a Stephen King short story is still like a hundred pages, you know? So there, there are varying degrees of short story, right? True. Yeah. And if it, like you said, if it was first published in a magazine, it, that kind of brings to mind like a Pulp Fiction type story, something along the lines of, yeah. of or that type of, you know, Pulp story that probably is fairly short. It definitely feels John Carpenter-esque, though, when you hear that story of, like, he's basing it on this short, pulpy-type cult, you know, uh, story that would have been published in a magazine. Kind of feels like the thing, right, where he, he adapted that original film from the 50s. So, like, clearly he's taking stuff from his childhood is what he was doing here and then adapting them, changing them to what, you know, the the the, the point that he was trying to make with his movies and stuff, you know. So he's he's definitely known for that kind of thing. Even that movie was based on a, the thing from another world. The fifties movie was based on a Pulp Fiction yeah. story. So these are all the things that he probably grew up enjoying and everything. And then he wanted to kind of put his twist on the story. You know, it was a, another example of that. Um, some of the background info here. Uh, of course there are, a, I found three different titles, but obviously the one is just kind of like the actual full title is John Carpenter's They Live. The other one that I found is Invasion Los Angeles, which that would have been pretty good too, right? Although that's probably not as broad as like the story they were trying to tell is, yeah, like you're in this this general area, but like I, the way I kind of felt it was just not Los Angeles, not even probably the United States, but the entire world, right? Although they didn't dive deep into that, but it's probably more than just this general area that they're talking about here, right, with these aliens. Yeah, I would say that, I would say that if he had an even bigger budget, maybe he would have showed some other things going on, but it's like, I got this budget, so I'm gonna I'm gonna concentrate on this certain city and the and the resistance fighters here. But yeah, I, I got the impression that it's probably worldwide. Yeah, all others have these little resistance units. Maybe they didn't have sunglasses. Maybe they came up with some other concept to to see them or whatever. But yeah. Uh, and bottom line is, I think they live is a better title than Invasion Los Angeles. Oh yeah. You know, True. not that that's a bad title, yeah. especially for the '80s, right? It kind of fits, but. They live as a yeah. better catchy title, you know, along with that mm. poster yeah, it, it, and everything. Gave you the opportunity to have that really cool opening where it's like graffiti sprayed on the wall as oh, the yeah. title of the movie as it hands yeah, off that, of that. So. Yeah, that was awesome. How it it kind of just dis- slowly dissolves into the graffiti like that. It's perfect, perfectly done. Um, but another, this is even better. <laughs> this other alternate title. Now, this one is a title. I think it's like a uh, an English title from Thailand. There, it was known as "They're Not Dead, But They're Not Human." <laughs> <laughs> exclamation point so that's an awesome title right like i think i'd still check that movie out yeah, yeah. although it's that, a mouthful ties into the pulpiness. i mean that's even more pulpy than the title of the pulp fiction story which i think was what eight o'clock in the morning or something which is a very pulpy title no that one more like a pulp title yeah absolutely they're not dead but they're not human um 
But it was released November 4th, 1988. It was produced by Alive Films uh, and Larry Franco Productions, distributed by Universal Pictures in North America, and internationally it was distributed by Corelco Pictures. Uh, IMDb has it as a action slash horror slash sci-fi film, so it definitely meets all those criteria, I believe, in, in small ways. Rated R, total runtime of one hour and 34 minutes, so it's just just right for me. Just, the porridge is just right. Mm. Uh, it was filmed in Los Angeles, mostly in Los Angeles, but there were some spots. Uh, I think in particular, the stuff with the church was shot in uh, Atlanta, Georgia from March to April. So a little over a month or so, I think about five weeks of 1988. So this is a pretty quick turnaround, right? Like they shot this for about a month, March to April of 88. And then this came out in November of 88. So pretty fast turnaround. Uh, also very impressive is what they got here out of the budget. The budget that I could see, only $3 million. So, I mean, I think this finished product is, you know, compared, for for instance, compared to the movie that we watched just last week when we were talking on Cannon Fodder, Braddock, Missing in Action 3, that had a, a budget of $9 million. Now, you tell me which one looks better. And I know John Carpenter to Aaron Norris, right? But still, <laughs> right? I mean, Cannon to anything John Carpenter ever did. But still, mm. what he did with $3 million versus what Aaron Norris and Cannon did with $9 million. Just think about that. Yeah. 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 And it, and this movie went on to gross $13.4 million, which I wouldn't necessarily, I mean, I would call that a minor success. I'm sure they wanted, anticipated more with John Carpenter, but you know, still not bad, not bad. I have the top 10 from that weekend that it was released. So this is the weekend of November 4th through the 6th, 1988. So uh, compared to just last week when we were talking about Braddock, um, this is the same year, but this is that was in January of 88. Now we're fast-forwarding to November of 88, so we have a whole different slate of movies here. Number 10, Alien Nation. It's turning up <laughs> during that time period. That's turned 50, November 6th. There you so go. Let's see what I remember, so we'll see what's up. Did you, did you go – I don't recall whether you said, did you go see this in the theater or not, They Live, or no? No, I don't remember. I don't think I saw this in the theater. Unfortunately, I wish I had. I don't know why that time period. Because I mean, I, yeah, I love like, John Carpenter. Yeah, it seems Just like been, something you would have been all over there in in eighty eight. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. It, maybe I listened to the critics and shouldn't have. I doubt it. I wasn't listening. Yeah, I wasn't. Uh, I never looked, but I definitely wasn't at that time. Maybe there was something. In I don't Fang, know why. Maybe there was something in Fangoria or something that turned you off beforehand. You're like, no, I'll wait. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> Anyways, uh, number ten, Alienation. Number nine, Gorillas in the Mist. Boy, that's one I haven't thought of in quite some time. <laughs> number eight, yep. number eight, Punchline. Number seven, Mystic Pizza. Number six, <laughs> number six in its opening weekend, The Good Mother. Uh, that's a Disney flick. Number five, and we'll mention this again here in a second. In its third week, Halloween Four: The Return of Michael Myers. Number that four. I did see in the theater. There I did you, see that in the theater. There you go. <laughs> Number four, The Accused. Number three, and it's and these last three, all this is opening weekend for them. Number three, Everybody's All American. You got me. I I don't really remember that one. Number two, number two, U two Rattle and Hum. And number one, They Live, made four point eight million dollars there in its opening weekend for Universal. So it opened up. Uh, you know, I'd say, I mean, it was number one. So, I mean, that's, that's, I'm sure they were pretty happy about that. Although I'm sure they wanted more money out of it, but you know, you're just looking at that slate though. It was pretty slow time for the box office. I mean, but you're coming, you're coming off Halloween. And the reason I mentioned Halloween four 
you know, this is the weekend after Halloween, is this was actually supposed to come out the same weekend as Halloween 4, the return of Michael Myers did. But because they didn't want to confuse the market with John Carpenter and everything, you know, the, the obvious connect. I know that Carpenter didn't do that, but there's mm-hmm. the obvious connection. I guess they just didn't want to be up against it. Compete. They, yeah, yeah. They they uh, delayed the release by two weeks. So that's why this came out then. So this was actually supposed to be out during the the Halloween, you know, season proper. And they just wanted to duck Michael Myers there. So ironic, right, with John Carpenter's involvement. Yeah, I definitely seeing Halloween 4 in the theater. I don't know why I didn't see They Live a few weeks later, but, uh, yeah. Future Smoke wants to kick past Smoke's ass for this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, because you know, hindsight twenty twenty. If it, if they're like, I only have a few bucks to see one movie, and I'm going to wait till you know, they, I would have seen they live in you know hindsight. Yeah. Then, it's, <laughs> then it's time for Mystic Pizza. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like you said, this was based on the short story by Ray Nelson, and uh, I, another inspiration a little bit later on. Not for this movie, but this movie inspired something a little bit later on. This inspired street artist Shepard Fairey. Um, to do his uh, obey the, the you know the Andre the Giant yeah. sticker that you know everybody has seen. Trust me, you know mm-hmm. you've seen it. <laughs> and then it says obey on the bottom of it. That's one of the main inspirations for this. Ironic. I'm sure there's got to be some connection there too that he chose another wrestler, right, for his art. Like it's not it's not Piper, but it's Andre the Giant. <laughs> there's got to be something there, right? If you could get into the mind of Shepard Fairey. Or some explanation. There's got to be something there, some connection to it. But yeah, that's that's a well-known <laughs> piece of street art for sure. I dare say you could probably go just about anywhere where there's a bunch of stickers stuck on walls or or something kind of graffitied or anything. You'll probably see that damn sticker somewhere <laughs> mixed up in the middle of it, right? Or on a, on a telephone pole in your town. Somewhere, I can guarantee it. But as we've mentioned, this uh, was... Uh, Written and directed by John Carpenter. It was also written by Ray Nelson. It stars, really the only main three that you need to talk about here is it stars Rowdy Roddy Piper, the famous professional wrestler, <clears throat> Hall of Fame wrestler as Nada. Keith David as Frank. I mean, you know, good Lord, you go on IMDb and type in Keith David and you, <laughs> you'll find almost 400 credits, I think it was, something like that to his yeah. name. I mean, that dude still works. He's in everything, yeah. almost. He's been he's in- like J- Yeah, he's like the black James Hong. Pretty much, <laughs> not quite, but pretty damn close. Yeah, like, pretty dude, close. Pretty the close. Dude's been in everything, man. TV, movies, cartoons. I mean, he lends his voice to a ton of stuff. I mean, you name it, that dude's DNA is somewhere, somewhere laying around in every production. It seems like in the last forty years, and uh, it also has uh, Meg Foster as Holly. Although it's a fairly small role in the movie, you know, still I think she's big enough to to mention here, right? Yeah. And uh, of course, he only he only pops up a couple of times as as a drifter. But George Buck Flower, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that guy's uh, awesome. <laughs> yeah, a well known a well known kind of uh, uh, would you character actor, right? Smoke. Yeah, yeah, he's in like he's in stuff that you won't remember. Like, because I was sitting there trying to rack my brain and what the hell? I mean, because he's in a lot of stuff. Yeah, it's hard to pull up exactly what you, know, you just know that when you you know it's kind of like. <laughs> Was it Dick Miller that was like, no, is that yeah. yeah, Dick Miller. Yeah, yeah Dick Miller. Miller. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's another one like yeah. James Hong, like Keith David, you know, where you're looking like Jesus, you know, like you see so much stuff and, and then stuff you even forgot about. Yeah. So George Buck Flowers, another one. Is, I mean, he was in Back to the Future, Starman, yeah. Village of the Damned. Yeah. I mean, like all types of stuff. In, in other John Carpenter movies, he was like, 
just some random street drunk or something like that yeah. and yeah. escape from New York. <laughs> Uh, did you guys, I mean, like there's tons to talk about here with the movie, but did you guys have any other background stuff you wanted to bring up before we dive into it? Yeah, I didn't really have much other than, you know, I, I covered this movie, uh, back when we did Travis's podcast on the cinema nine a couple of years ago, actually. I was about to say that's probably been a little while back. So you yeah, know, you have to go back and, uh, compare your thoughts to, to it then to now, even though it's, you know, it's, a, it's been a short period of time just to see if, uh, any yeah. of your points or any, uh, more or less valid these days. Right. Yeah. It's intermission time. Time to pause and refresh at the snack bar. During this short break, you can treat your taste of good food and sparkling cold beverages, including delicious Coca-Cola. If you're hot dog hungry, we have them. Sizzling, juicy hot dogs served in warm, oven-fresh buns. Plus a complete menu of all your favorites. Visit the refreshment center now. Enjoy delicious food and ice-cold Coca-Cola. For you, the listeners of the All-American Spook Show podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to check out their service. So, I mean, you may or may not know how this works. You go and sign up using that audibletrial.com slash spookshow. You, they give you a credit on Audible. You can take that credit and you can get any audiobook you want on the service. And if you decide, you know what, I don't want to keep this. You know, it's, it's more than I, I can afford at the moment. You can cancel it. You still get to keep that free book. So... I think it's worth, uh, you know, it helps us out and it's worth it for you because you get a free audio book if you're choosing out of it. And so I'm going to go on over to audible.com and I'm going to type in, let's see, I'm just going to type in John Carpenter to see what pops up because I'm sure we're going to have a, a little bit of everything there. And let's see, we've got shock value, how a few eccentric outsiders gave us nightmares, conquered Hollywood and invented modern horror. By Jason Zinneman. That one is uh, just under nine hours long. So that sounds pretty interesting. I'm sure it's about Carpenter and a lot of those guys of that Romero and the guys of that era, right? Let's see. What else? Just scroll down a little bit. We've got, this is an audible exclusive, The Gardener and the Carpenter. <laughs> <laughs> what the new science of child development tells us about the relationship between parents and children. Donnie, that's a deep, yeah, deep I'm, subject for I'm, you there. I'm out. Uh, by Allison Gopnik. And that one's uh, just under, also just under nine hours long. And then we've got, Let's see the forbidden dramatized drama. God, good Lord. I'm, fuck that name. <laughs> Dra- Dramatize. Yeah. <laughs> the new, it's the new English. Dramatized, hey, you're not selling me on reading books here. <laughs> dramatized adaptation. The last gunfighter book four. So that means there's at least three previous by William W. Johnston. And that one is a little over five hours long. So if, Tons of other stuff. I mean, I know it's random pulls just putting in Car- uh, John Carpenter, but it's bringing up shit about carpentry and everything. So I'm sure you can find something. I mean, of course, there's like a, a a Halloween adaptation on here. Lots of other cool stuff. So if any of that floats your boat, you can go to audibletrial.com slash show. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash show for your free audiobooks. Now I'm going to hop back on over to imdb.com and click on plot summary if I can find it. There it is. See if there's any long ones for you there, Donnie. Yeah, you know. You know, I'm not, yeah, there is one. I'll, I'll just say that. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't mind hearing, you know, about, about, they live, you okay, know. Yeah, so at least it's a, it's the subject matter yeah. sometimes. Yeah. It's the subject. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Uh, we've got the one sentence. They influence our decisions without us knowing it. They numb our senses without us feeling it. They control our lives without us realizing it. They live. That doesn't really tell you what the, exactly what the hell is going on here, <laughs> but it's, it's intriguing uh, description nonetheless. <clears throat> This one will tell you more. This is a long one. 
submitted by cinema underscore fan over there. John Carpenter's slow and deliberate immersion of the daunting and worrying fable of the corrupt, deceiving and indifferent economic, social, and political society that has wrapped itself around its people and who, in turn, have blindly accepted their fate. Multicultural and more forms than anticipated are the leading and upwardly mobile alien race who have gelled themselves into the human psyche and exploited it to its full potential. This is the story of an everyman, a no one, a nada, who stumbles upon their secret via an underground movement whose mission is to sabotage their plans and awaken the world to its sinister plans. With the help of a pair of sunglasses that shows the world as it really is, not in color, but a black and white parallel world that the subconscious has chosen to ignore, with subliminal messages as obey, conform, marry and reproduce, consume, watch television, sleep, It is through this thought control that the aliens have this world tied up and neatly packaged for its own manipulative uses to further themselves at the expense of the meek, mild, and the lowly sufferers of a jobless and hungry world. This is the battle of self-awareness and one man's struggle with a reality check that has these alien beings staging war against the uprising and rebellious armies from the gutters and streets. They live, you sleep. Where will your consciousness take you when the sleep is washed from your eyes? Welcome to the real world. Boy, that's a deep fucking synopsis there, right? Damn. Yeah, that actually reminds me of, uh, I work a soulless corporate job. <laughs> and um, uh, I actually, uh, and you know, you you guys can edit this out or whatever, but uh, no, I've, it this all, is my. Uh, it all stays. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's, your, uh, your badge? Your work badge? Yeah, it's my badge, man. Okay, yeah, it's the, uh, <laughs> it's one of the aliens from. Uh, yeah. From the movie there, yeah. He's yeah, got your name. So. It says Donnie. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Consume. Obey. Consume. <laughs> Donnie. <laughs> Work. Breathe. Live. Uh, that's yeah, funny. That's about right. Well, I yeah, think that's, fucking I think, soulless corporation. I think anyway. that's really one of your main takeaways from this movie is that aspect of it, right? Like, the things that we've already talked about, but like... If you're going to think of one thing from the movie, you think of when he puts the glasses on and then you see the billboards. It's, you know, it's like a cigarette billboard. He puts mm-hmm. the glasses on. Then it says consume. You know, and mm-hmm. he looks over here. And it's a TV. And then all of a sudden it just says obey. You know, all these words that I just read. Like, that's the that's the eye-catching moments of this movie, right? Oh, no doubt. Just like the uh, uh, advertisements, the imagery, the, uh, I, I guess, subliminal messages uh, that you think about like media control and you know we, we kind of th- this was just way ahead of its time and it's still relevant oh yeah you know yeah. well i mean that's probably a good time to talk about some of that stuff because there's a moment in the movie where that they're they go to this uh meeting of the aliens mm-hmm. right and, and i think it's a meeting that they're having with the the human the traders you know like because there's yeah. some that are just like they're kind of in on the gag and they're just doing it because they can gain money, gain power from it. Right. So mm-hmm. they have this big meeting and the guy's like, he says something along the lines of, uh, yeah, we're on path to completely take over the world by the year 2025, something like that. Right. And I was like, <laughs> <Yeah>. 2025. <laughs> oh shit. You know? Yeah. But that did bring a few things in mind, right, Donnie, that you. Yeah. Listed. So, um, I guess, I guess you could kind of say that, you know, these predictions and kind of t- depictions, could rival the Simpsons. You know, the Simpsons is long known for, uh, you know, kind of predicting, you know, future events. It was like, oh shit, 
You know, like even the, I guess the recent Stephen Hawking uh, uh, shit was apparently on The Simpsons. You know, anyway, so uh, just kind of some of the uh, predictions um, of, of this was, and, you know, this isn't really... I guess, uh, relative to, um, well, I guess it is, this would be present day with, uh, police misconduct. Uh, I'd say that's almost always on the, on the tip. Yeah. Yeah. You've got, uh, I guess mega conglomerates of, uh, you know, corporations in control. Um, you've got the wealth disparity, uh, which is mentioned. Um, and some of, it, it seems like uh, the aliens or the you know the uh, the ghouls really um, they actually appear to be white people or they you know it's, and, it's white people with all their skin taken off of them yeah <laughs> it's the muscular yeah, so yeah, I mean, muscular you, skeleton face of uh, yeah, you know whatever and they're usually in these uh, positions of you know kind of uh, authority uh, in a sense because you do have even though you do have a security guard, he still has a gun, you know, and, you know, um, but yeah, the, you know, you do have, um, you know, the politician, the, I guess the white privilege, I guess, mm-hmm. um, without, you know, a better term for it. Um, climate change is also mentioned. Um, you have drones, uh, that are featured yeah. actually in the very beginning and, um, and, you know, smart watches. Yeah. It's all like on the level of the Jetsons too, you know. It's like when you watch the Jetsons and you're like, if you if you want to start thinking about it, like the dystopian view of the Jetsons, it's pretty fucking bleak, right? Why do they all live above the clouds in the Jetsons? Well, it's because the world went to shit and they just raised everything up, <laughs> right? They have the they have the watches, like you know Elroy watching TV mm-hmm. on his fucking watch. Well, we have that, right? It's, it's kind of the same yeah. thing, and like you said, it's it's Simpsons level. Uh, I look at these things more like irony, right? Like they're not really yeah. predicting anything. They're just kind of like, well, I'm sure even John Carpenter at the time, like you can just see where the trends are going. If you're yeah. paying attention, you can just see the way things are going. Let's just call it what it is. You know, I think that's what he was, what he was doing here. That's a good point. I would say that you could apply a lot of things to the, well, we're not going to get political too much. No. You don't want me to get political. At this point. <laughs> let's put it that way. But you can see things that relate to the Biden administration, let's say, and some other aspects of this like even though it was reaganomics at the time bidenomics i don't know <laughs> you can listen take this and apply it to modern times yeah and take it different angles because i'm i'm sure i come at it from a different angle politically than other people would but i can i can see into it what i see into it and other people will see what they yeah, see. yeah but see here's the thing that right there what you're saying is a good illustration of how good john carpenter or a good, or let's just sure. say a good writer or a good director or a good person, you know, that creates these type of forms of art yeah. is that you can take it from any position you want to, and, you know, and, you know, you can look at it the way you want, like, don't they always say art is subjective, right? Like it's, oh yeah, yeah. Like, so the that, best one. Yeah. It's subjective. It's, and it- so I think that's kind of the, the angle of it. Like, you know, like I'm sure lots of people over the years have tried to say to even to John Carpenter were like. Well, it's, here's what you meant by this. And here's what you meant. And he's like, no, I didn't fucking mean that. I just meant it in the lens I was looking at it in 1988, you know? <laughs> yeah. You can come at this from a, you can almost come at this from, like, it's weird, like you said, it's, it's different angles. It's almost like you could say it's communist in a way. Yeah. But then you could also say it's anti-communist. Yeah, it's both. It's both and neither, <laughs> you know? You're the 
of the writing of it, I guess you could say. And it's uh, was the other thing I was thinking of a point to make was uh, and I was gonna now talking about that part, it's slipped my mind. It'll probably come back to me. Yeah, but, but yeah, uh, like I said, take it different angles. You can go. Oh, the consumerist aspect. That's the other thing. Yeah, consumerist aspect. You could look at it from like I was saying, a, like communism thing of like you know not not owning this or that or whatever, and people spend too much money. But it, also from the other perspective of just your average Joe, like spending all this money on stuff he doesn't need, you yeah. could see that from a different angle as well. You know, not just like it's just the writing of this, and I think it's Carpenter's writing more so than the. Maybe then the short story, but then again, the short story is written during the Cold War. So yeah. that Cold War era was probably what influenced the short story, which is still influencing Carpenter's work a little bit because that was still the Cold War was still kind of going on in '88. You you could sum it up as easy as the old saying goes: uh, "The more things change, the more they stay the same." Right? Like a lot of the same issues <laughs> and things that people brought up in 1963 are the same shit that people were concerned about and brought up in 1988 that they do today. You know, so. I think that's where you kind of leave those type of things. But I think to me, it's a good testament to John Carpenter and, and the work that all the people put in, in this movie is that you do, it does make you think and make you, um, you know, look beyond just the silliness of the sci-fi mm. alien aspect right. of it. Right. Which I guess some people at the time, even though it's looked more, it's looked on more and favorable today than it was then because of that, I guess, Heavy, like we mentioned earlier, the heavy social commentary aspect coming at people in the eighty in the late eighties was too much for them, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> to at least for the critics, and I guess for the moviegoers, because you would think this movie would have should have should have made more than thirteen million. I would say. Yeah, yeah, it's well done, but you know, you know, getting back to that aspect of it too, like, do you think him casting Roddy Piper and Keith David as kind of the leads here might have affected some of that? Like, if he'd have thrown. I don't know who's a big name at the time, Schwarzenegger, Bruce Willis, Stallone, somebody like that, right? If he'd have threw one of those guys in there, this probably makes way more bank at the box office than it does with Roddy Piper at the helm, right? Oh, no doubt. But from what I read, I believe, from what I read on his background is that like he picked Piper because Piper just he basically he wore he said something to the effect of he wore the years of living on his face. Like you mm. he said he looked at Piper and was like, Yeah, this dude's lived through some shit you know, in real life. So like he wanted him immediately. And apparently the role of Frank, he wrote for Keith David because of the work that he had done on the thing. So like, it seems like he pretty much had these dudes in mind from the get go. There was no Tom Cruise. There was mm. no, you know, bigger name yeah. you know, being thrown around here. And I think that works better for the movie. Like you're saying, like if, if it had been Stallone or Schwarzenegger, it would have become a Stallone or Schwarzenegger movie, yeah. <laughs> you know, what, d- d- despite John Carpenter's name attached to it or anybody else, it would have just been that, you know, it's summer a- blockbuster for Stallone for 1988 or whatever. And, and the it- social comedy had been played down as well. Maybe it would it probably would have made more money. Sure. But it would definitely wouldn't have been the same movie. I look at it like it's a very John Carpenter thing to do, right? <laughs> but I'm not putting Bruce Willis or Tom Cruise in this. Fuck you. It's Roddy Piper. It's Keith David, yeah. right? That's very John Carpenter. It feels like yeah. something jo- George Romero would do, doesn't it? Yeah, that's funny you mentioned that too. Because remember that line near the end of the movie when uh, the TV thing and they're they're saying something about it's an, it's a, one of the aliens though, saying about violence. This is when the when they finally destroy the signal thing or whatever, right? And, yeah. and everybody can see aliens for what they are in color on you know, without glasses mm-hmm. or whatever. And it's like one of them is on TV and being interviewed, and they're saying something about the violence in movies today is so you know I don't remember the exact lines, but so horrible or whatever. 
especially these movies coming out from George Romero and John Carpenter. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure Carpenter. I'm sure Carpenter. I do, that yeah, I do recall that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure Carpenter had quite a chuckle with himself on that, and probably Romero too, right when he when he he saw it himself. <laughs> but getting into the movie itself, how about like you know at, at the very beginning, um, he puts the glasses on and then he gets to see the true alien faces. So like that, it really kind of is a slow burn up to that point. You know, as far as movie wise, yeah. like you know you're kind of just watching this dude go through like the motions of kind of a sad drifting existence. You know, he needs work. He's down on his luck, whatever, you know, you kind of build up to that moment. And then he, he kind of, uh, digs around and, and finds these, gets these, acquires these glasses, I should say. And then he puts them on and then bam, like everything changes. It's almost like if you didn't know, if you hadn't seen any trailers and known anything about this movie, you, this would be the moment where you're kind of like, okay, well this movie just changed on a fucking dime. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Some of the lines that he has, Piper specifically in this movie, um, one of the best, probably one of the uh, more quoted ones that he has in this movie is, I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass, and I'm all out of bubblegum. <laughs> That's, That's a be, great line. It is. It is. It's got it. And, and also, too, it, some of this, I don't know. I didn't see. But some of this has to be improv from Piper, right? Wouldn't you think? Because Piper was a wrestler, had been a wrestler for, you know, well over a decade, even at this point, 10 to 15 years. So, like, the wrestlers are known, especially back in those days, for cutting promos, and they had to just come up with yeah. shit on the fly. So, I'm sure some of this stuff had to have been improv by him, just like, oh, hey, yeah. I know this cool line from, you know, that I did in Sheboygan a couple years ago. This should, this should work perfectly. And then insert, but what do I know? Carpenter might have wrote that. I don't know. But, no, um, it, I, yeah, it, what what I had read is uh, actually Piper came up with it. Uh, he had he had used it at various times during his uh, during his wrestling career, probably you know at yeah. untelevised shows or I, I have no idea. But uh, and he he had like a notebook of things that he would uh, just kind of you know write down and you know just kind of ad lib or whatever, and he shared it with. He was like, I love that. Yeah, perfect. It's perfect. It does. The only the only slight beef I could think of while I was watching the movie is how Piper's character Nada kind of changes on a dime once he once he uh, you know is kind of clued in on the on the gag right like once he can see the mm-hmm. aliens or whatever his character seems to change like he goes from kind of a downtrodden like look I, I'm just going to push through life I'm going to do what I need to do he does have a positive outlook right like he's not a negative person. He's I believe in America and all that stuff, right? Remember his lines and all that? No. But like, he's kind of, you know, I'm going to be qu- quiet and kind of do what I need to do to get through life. And then all of a sudden he sees this and it's like it, it flips the switch. Like he becomes a different character. Not, not for the worse. It's just all of a sudden now he's, now he's the, I'm kick ass chew bubblegum guy, you know, <laughs> just like that. Like <laughs> it, it, it's kind of a, it's kind of abrupt when you say like character wise. Mm-hmm. how he is introduced to Holly. He carjacks her. And then he goes back to her house. He's got, basically he's kidnapped her, right? Like he's got her, he's holding her hostage because he just needs a place to kind of lay low because now they're on to him. Right. She, she's like, I'm thirsty. I want to get something to drink. She walks over and gets the wine bottle, man. She knocks the fuck out of him. <laughs> like, he walks yeah. over there and she swings and hits him in the back of the head with a wine bottle and sends him flying <laughs> out of the window and down a cliff, man. Like, that probably would be the end of him, right? Right there, like when you think that didn't. Well, I mean, that didn't kill you. That fuck you up pretty good. 
<laughs> I mean, it really did just kind of send him down the mountain. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, a little bit further on, where he's he's after that, he lost the sunglasses, right? So now he's kind of desperate to find the glasses again. He goes yeah. back to the trash can where he had hid that box that had a bunch of sunglasses in it, and it's gone. He looks over. It's in the back of a dump truck, right? He crawls up in the, not 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 just a dump truck, but like a trash truck, right? He no. crawls up in the back of it, digs around a little bit, finds the box of glasses. And, oh, fine, finally, I've got the glass. Then the dump truck turns up, and, you know, I know it's a funny moment where he kind of looks at the camera like, uh-oh, and then slides out of the, But why the <laughs> fuck did the trash truck dump him out? That was the only thing. Why did that happen? <laughs> the dude, the dude's dumping. I mean, he's picking up trash. He's a trash guy, right? Yeah. I mean, that that scene didn't make and sense then, other than yeah. him needing to get out or or having kind of a humorous situation where he's sliding out yeah. the dump truck, maybe. Yeah, yeah. But you would think because the garbage guy didn't know that the back had been reopened. No. I mean, I don't know why would you tilt it anyways? You exactly. Know I mean? Like he. <laughs> Dude dumps the trash, leaves him, leaves him and the trash in the middle of the street, and then just puts it back down and drives off. So, like, why the fuck would you? Why would you pick up the trash and then dump it in the middle of the damn street? Because, like, I mean, if he thought that the back was closed, you're just going to drive off, right? You go pick yeah. up your next load somewhere. Mm-hmm. You're not going to. Oh, yeah. reason. So, yeah. That was the only. I was stuck on it for like way longer than I should have been. I was like, why the fuck did he do that? Like, he just like. He he didn't know he was back there. Why would he just dump all the trash out that he just picked up? <laughs> Whatever. Then this leads us to one of the most epic fist fights in film oh, yeah. in film history. The full out just beating each other's ass epic fight between Nada and Frank. Where it's yeah. all it, the only reason they're really that they're fighting is because he won't put the fucking sunglasses on. <laughs> <laughs> this thing takes up almost six full minutes of, of runtime. And it's, and it's not, and it's a, it's one of those, it's a real, it's awesome. It's a real fight though. You know, it's not like one of yeah. those, it's not one of those like, or over choreographed John Wick type fights, you know, like, or a Jackie Chan or, you know, any Kung Fu flick, right? And it's nothing like that. This is like two dudes in an alley just beating the shit out of each other. Yeah. It is like a brawl fuck, and it is low, raw as fuck. Low blows. You know, um, suplexes. Yeah, like it's <laughs> a yeah, so suplex area. It can't be overstated. If you don't, if you've never seen They Live, first off, we're a spoiler podcast. So you need to go check it out. Right, we're gonna completely spoil it for you here in just a few minutes. But if you only want to watch this movie just for this, I won't blame you. You need to go. You need to go witness this fight. I don't. I forget how far into the movie it is. It's probably roughly about halfway, right? Give or take forty-five minutes in or something. Yeah, something that's like that. that sounds about right. But yeah, like it's it's worth the price of admission just to watch this fight. I'll leave it there. It is awesome. Right after that, one of Piper's next lines: "Brother, life's a bitch. She's back in heat." <laughs> <laughs> another classic. underrated. Yeah, another classic. So fast forward, they kind of team up with. Uh, um, Gilbert, which is a guy that was kind of like running the homeless encampment there that had helped them earlier mm-hmm. in the movie. They run back into him and they join up with the resistance or whatever. Right. And there, the, really the only thing I can think of is the whole reason for this is to not only show you that there is a resistance of a small resistance of people that are trying to fight this, but also just to uh, take the sunglasses away. That that's the main reason I think for this scene is like I well they can't go around the rest of the movie just wearing these sunglasses because the sunglasses could get knocked off and they're screwed right 
So they take the sunglasses off and they put in these contacts. So that, that explains the rest of the movie. Like now they can mm-hmm. see the real world because they're wearing these contacts. Holly, who, you know, was the girl that, uh, Nada had kidnapped earlier in the movie. She randomly shows back up and she has joined the, uh, resistance. And just then, uh, like an alien, well, maybe not all aliens, but like the police force backed by the aliens all raid this, uh, this, um, this meeting, this, uh, uh, the resistance meeting hall, they raid it and just pretty much mow most of them down. Right. Like they don't just take it out. Like they pretty much killed just about everybody here. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it's probably, it's not random necessarily. Right. (laughs) As we find out. Yeah. Well that's, yeah. We're about to find out here in just a few minutes. It's not a a random coincidence that it happens, but this is where they also start to lean a little bit heavier into the sci-fi side of things beyond just the alien part of it. Right. Um, the aliens have this little watch that they all wear. And, uh, not only can they talk back and forth to each other, but apparently it can open up like a portal into a, what exactly did they go into there? Is it another dimension? Is it just another part of town? What exactly does the, where does the watch take them? What was your take on that? My take on it is that it's just a, it's a, I'd say, I don't think it's necessarily another part of town or I think it's just a, I mean, well, maybe it's a, 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 dimensional i don't think it's another dimension it's another it's a way to transport them from this physical plane to that physical plane but i still think it's in the same world or dimension or whatever that it's just another yeah i mean like sort of like the transport device thing yeah my original thoughts on it were like it just kind of takes them to the you know underneath right it takes them to the sewers or whatever but then there's this this bit when they kind of take the tour and you see what looks like space right like yeah, like an yeah. open here's space, and then like they can just stand on this thing like Star Trek transporter yeah. type thing, and then be <laughs> sent to wherever yes. the fuck they're going. So like, it was hard to the geography of this was weird. Like, are they just underground or are they on a spaceship or maybe it's just like a portal, like a uh, different dimensions, and they're just like traveling through wormholes or something. Yeah, yeah. well that that part something different, like the the part where they were like. <laughs> It's getting sent out into whatever. I took that to be different than the hole that opened up yeah. to let them go through to, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I could be wrong, but I thought that the interdimensional thing is them traveling to different yeah dimensions or planets or wherever. But the portal thing was just a way to get so around like earth. To, yeah. I thought it was just like a home base. I don't know. I don't know. Like that, <laughs> just, that news channel place. Yeah. Like, like it's like, it's like upstairs, out. right? Like it's upstairs of their home base or whatever. Yeah, it's just that that part yeah. with the space thing kind of threw me. It's like I can I can accept that it's just like they're in a different part of Los Angeles, but all of a sudden they cut the corner and then it looks like wide open space and they can teleport to any other you know planet or wherever the hell they want to go. And then they just kind of turn around and oh by the way the the TV station's up on the roof. <laughs> Wait a minute, where are we at here? Like it was just kind of <laughs> backwards geography for me for a second. I got twisted. Um, <laughs> turns out that. Uh, old uh, uh george buck flower you know earlier he's one of the homeless drifters or whatever he has turned traitor and he's you know a part of the uh the rich folk now right like oh come on it's you know we're, we're already screwed uh come and play the game you know like it's all for a buck right and he thinks that they're there for the same reason he's like you boys could at least dress for the occasion because <laughs> because he's all done up to the tea and <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tuxedo, yeah he's right? in like a tux or whatever it was like some sort of formal event so he shows them around the whole thing. This is where you see everything we were just talking about. They decide to go up to the top because now they got to take out the, uh, the the satellite tower. 
they're going to take out the the transmission because this is what the they think this is what's doing it right um they go up top they they're almost there uh they're about to literally go up on the roof and Holly who has joined them like they find her randomly in the hallway so now she's with Frank and Nada Holly turns around and just shoots Frank bam he's gone so Nada goes up to the roof by himself he doesn't know it yet and he's he's like hey Holly Frank check it out we we this is this is where we are we're at the satellite and she says something like, you know, turn around, whatever the fuck she says, right? And uh, Nada has to kill her because now he's realized that she has killed Frank. So he kills her, but then he turns around and shoots the satellite, which knocks out the uh, the signal. The yeah, the, yeah, the mm-hmm. signal that they're sending out. So now everybody can see the aliens. And the only question there is, all right, he blows up the satellite. There's a helicopter f- flying around. They shoot him. Nada's laying on the ground, and he's still alive. But do you see him die? Or I assume I assume that like if you didn't see him die there, he does die shortly thereafter, right? I would imagine. I don't think he's still alive at this point. But do do you think like that's the moment that he dies when it blows up? Yeah, that's what. Yeah, I mean that's what I've assumed. <laughs> Always yeah. assumed, I guess. Because he's like, fuck it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. He, he, at that point, he's just like, well, you know, I'm taking everything. You know, I got to do what I got to do to end this shit, right? So yeah, that's that's pretty much it, though. Like you see the brief moment of everything kind of crumbling for the aliens. Like everybody can see, you know, they the, the veil has been lifted. They can see what they are now, and then hit the credits. So that's they. Live. Yeah. Well, the credits is one of my favorite '80s endings. <laughs> with the with the the cut of the aliens being revealed. Yeah, the, the girl. Oh, yeah. The one having sex with Yeah, having sex. Yeah, she looks down. He's like, what's wrong, baby? Yeah. <laughs> that was awesome. This movie's awesome. <laughs> so there we have it. The, the, the 80s cult classic starring Roddy Piper and Keith David. They live. John Car- Another John Carpenter classic. The dude really had a run, didn't he? I mean, like, we've talked about it before when yeah. we've done a couple other Carpenter flicks, but man, that... That run that Carpenter had from like the late seventies to early nineties, boy, you'd be hard pressed to top <laughs> some of the output he was he was uh, putting out at that time, man. Just some great stuff. Not not many not many that are you would even consider close to a stinker, right? Like all great in their own ways. I mean, hell, one of them definitely the thing uh, I've said it before is my favorite remake of all time. One of yeah. my favorite films of all time. And we, I think we all gave it a five, right? I, I think or somewhere in there. Uh, I have to pull it up, but yeah, it wouldn't shock me. It wouldn't shock me at all. I, yeah, I believe we did. Yeah, I believe all of us gave it five, yeah. except for Will. Will wasn't there, so he ne- and he never went back and watched it. So all three of us gave it a five. So there you go. That that's they live. So, uh, Donnie, what do you say? What's what's your uh, thoughts and your star rating on it? Oh man, this is uh, like we're getting into the upper echelon of uh, you know my. Uh, my kind of wheelhouse. Uh, but no, well, I love this movie. I always have. I always will. Um, I, you know, I, I'm kind of with you on the, um, what you mentioned on the onset. Uh, I think this is more sci-fi than horror. It certainly does have some horror, you know, horror elements. Uh, but, you know, it's well within what the scope of what we do, whether, you know, whether it be Cold Corner or, you know, uh, what have you. But, we would have eventually gotten to it anyway. So, yeah. you know, great pick by Will. Uh, the fight scene is incredible. 
this movie is still relevant to modern times. God, man, I love this movie. I'm going to give it five. I'm going to give it five stars. Smoke, what do you say? Yeah, this is grade A Carpenter, uh, as we've already mentioned. And it's like it's perfectly relevant to whatever period, really, just about. Because, as we mentioned, his way of writing the movie was uh, it could apply to whatever side or view you have. You can pretty much apply it to this movie and see that in it. You know? mm. Get masterful storytelling and uh, plot also moves along. The dialogue, the actors. Like I said, if you'd chosen anybody else that were more bigger names, I mean, Piper was big in wrestling, but and he had done some acting roles, but you don't really think of him as this major action, you know, superstar or whatever. So, and you could, I think you could put, he wasn't doing, he wasn't doing Rowdy Roddy Piper necessarily. So you don't see that in it either. I think that's another great thing. Like you don't, yeah. it'd be easy to sit there and imagine him in the kilt doing, you know, <laughs> yeah, doing Piper, or something, but you don't, you don't equate that at all, even though he is, he probably did ad lib some of those lines and come up with some good stuff. Uh, but nothing that takes away from the movie and the plot and everything. So that, that was great. Uh, soundtrack is typical. I mean, it's okay. It's not as great as Halloween or some of the other, but it is still Alan Holworth and uh, John Carpenter doing the soundtrack as usual. So that's great as well. Uh, I think I'll give it, and uh, Donnie mentioned is sci-fi and horror. That's one of my favorite things too, is when you can do a good combination of sci-fi and horror together, like alien aliens, any number just keep going uh i think that's the ratio of one to the other and plus action i mean that's there's a lot of action in there too that, that epic fight scene i mean there's all kinds of great stuff ah i think i'll go with uh four and a half stars i'll go with four and a half hard to argue it and i won't um me i you know what I th- smoke i think i'm more on your level like i i want to go five but i don't think i can go quite five so i'm gonna go four and a half myself um i love this movie I've seen it, you know, like I said earlier, a dozen times, and I'll probably watch it a dozen times more before I tap out. I mean, it's a great movie. Like you said, Donnie, it's, it's still relevant today, and it probably will be 50 more years from now, you know? And mm. as times change, it, it the message doesn't change that much, you know? So, like, mm. in that way, it's just a, a, a good, a, a good, it's just so well done. I mean, I, I can't think of another way to put it. It's just so well done. And uh, it probably would have hit differently if it had anyone else but Piper in it. Um, I think he, he really does, you know, to what you were saying, Smoke, he's acting his ass off here. You know, he's not being the wrestler. You know, he he's he's truly d- doing a good job of acting, I think. Um, I'm sure some people would probably crap on it because he's not an actor, but I think that's what Carpenter was going for. You know, he didn't want just another actor to do this. He wanted... Mm. He wanted a guy like this to do it. So, um, awesome performance. Um, just, just so well done. I, I love the movie four and a half stars. So Tiana, what do you say? I'm going to go with four and a half stars also. And it's just a fun film to watch anytime. Um, great acting. And I feel like it's somewhat of a comedy too, which oh, makes it fun. Yeah. Tons of comedy yeah. elements there, yeah, for sure. <laughs> just, just like, and just, we, I don't know if we mentioned them necessarily directly, but just P- Piper's uh, lines when he's addressing the aliens after he recognizes the aliens with sunglasses on, and he's, <laughs> and he's like cutting them down basically, yeah. and they're like, oh, that stuff was pretty hilarious. Yeah. I mean, he came out again. That might be ad lib too. I don't know, but there were, there were some good lines. Yeah, 
probably I'm sure there there probably has to be some improv stuff there. For, you know, <laughs> it would make sense with Piper's character for sure. Now, you said it right, Tiana. It's a lot of fun. It really is. It's it's a lot of fun. It, you know, for something that could have been kind of heavy and serious because of what he was talking about, Carpenter finds yeah. but Carpenter finds a way to have a good time with it too. You know, so I think that's is sometimes it's in the way the message is delivered that helps helps the medicine go down a little bit sometimes. You know, so to put it simply, so yeah, that's a good point. As far as uh, our usual background stuff. Connections from the crypt. <laughs> that, listening to the Crypt Keeper laugh there reminds me that you weren't there for uh, when we did the Tales from the Crypt episode for crypt, no. you know, the Christmas Viewer's Choice thing. And I was like, Donnie, you yeah, missed your, I know. You missed your perfect the one time. <laughs> you weren't there. But anyways, yeah, what, what do you got for They Live? All right. So uh, on the cast side, we've got probably no surprise here. Uh, Keith David. Um, dates back to when, um, we did, you might be the killer, which I forgot he oh, was in that. Good Lord. Um, you know, uh, he was in it, but remember you never saw him. It was just his voice. It was his voice. Yeah, so, yeah. but that, you know, yeah, still counts yeah, as a yeah, connection. Counts. So I just mean that like, maybe that's why you forgot, you know, cause you don't actually see yeah. him. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, uh, Keith David from, uh, you might be the killer. He was also in the thing, which we covered. Uh, and he was also in last week's episode. Uh, Braddock missing an action three. Yeah. Which like we pointed out last week, it's so weird that he was yeah. <laughs> this movie and that in the same year, but no. it has such a small throwaway role in that movie that it's crazy. Right. Exactly. So, uh, and then on, on the, uh, crew side, it's probably, you know, kind of easy pickings to, uh, uh, mention John Carpenter here, but I, I went a different direction. Wanted to give, you know, uh, some kind of spotlight to somebody else. So, um, there was a stuntman specifically, uh, Gilbert B. Combs, uh, and he was a uh, stuntman for uh, Tiana's favorite, Showgirls. Oh. Uh, uh, also, uh, Die Hard, Independence Day, and Josh, your favorite, Barbed Wire. Oh, God. Well, could have been worse. You, you know, you could have <laughs> said House of Wax or something like that. So, uh, you know, yeah. Barbed Wire is you know. more acceptable than that, I'll, give, I'll say. Yeah, so some also some crap connections there, too. Yeah, there you go. Well, we don't have the official kill count from Will because he's not here, no. but let's talk about the kill reel. Highlight kill. All right, this one's a little tough because, like, there's lots of random death in this movie. You know, like them just shooting the aliens and stuff like that, so... It's kind of hard for me to peg one highlight kill, but I guess just because of that, I got to go with, uh, although it's not a kill, it's more of a sacrificial death, right? I got to go with Nada dying at the end of it because, like, that's the the ultimate moment, right? That's the, the climax of the movie is him s- sacrificing himself for the greater good. So, like, I can't really think of one other death that sticks out to me you know, any more than that, this is it, definitely none as impactful as that other than, you know, even unfortunately Frank getting popped, like, you know, it kind of happens like, bam, he's gone. You don't even see the aftermath of it. So, but then again, I guess you question whether or not I died there or not. I guess there is that lingering John Carpenter esque like, is he, is he dead? You know, <laughs> he loves to do that stuff. Like in the thing, right? Like the end of that one. So yeah. he likes to kind of yeah. leave it hanging out there a little bit, but I'd say he's dead. So I, I'm going to go with that as the highlight kill. 
is uh, not as death at the end of it. So we'll wrap it up with. Gore score. Yeah, this one, uh, not a lot of gore in it. I mean, it's, a, it's, it's horror, it's rated R, but there's not much gore. And you don't really, because of that intermingling of the sci-fi and the horror elements and the humor going on and all these various, the political allegory and all that, you don't really miss it necessarily. You don't need it. It's not really meant to be a super gory movie anyway. And most of the gore comes from shot or not. Well, shotgun. You have gun squibs, especially yeah. the, uh, you know, I came here to chew bubblegum and kick ass and I'm all out of bubblegum. Then he proceeds to kick ass by blasting some of these aliens away with that shotgun. Yeah. And you get some like, blood splatter I mean, black and white mainly because, you know, he's looking through his sunglasses. Uh, so yeah, most of that gore that I think of as squibs, I really can't think of anything else that was, there was the brutal fight between him, you know, Keith David and Roddy Piper, but, uh, but it wasn't gory, you know, but it is brutal. I mean, it's, and it goes on for six minutes. So, I mean, it's violent, uh, but yeah, not a whole lot of gore. And, uh, as everybody who's watched this show knows, uh, the gore score is based on Chaz Balin's gore score. So uh, a lot of times I like to defer to him first, to see what he gave it. And this movie is in that right at the edge because i think uh he he put those magazines and last book out the deep red or not deep red horror handbook that's one of his but uh yeah it is this one. it is uh deep red horror handbook yeah uh, i think this came out in 1989 maybe or so so it's it's right there at the edge and he did have they live in there so uh he gave it a five and i'm gonna i'm gonna agree i believe with Chaz's five on this one sometimes i'll i'll uh edit it if i think it maybe needs a little bit more a little less whatever but i think that he called it right on the head it's uh it's not a very gory movie it's got the blood squibs and various other violence in it but uh five uh, five it is yeah i don't i i think that's right on it and this isn't the kind of movie that you come here you don't come here for that you know like then there's 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 a lot of horror elements to it but it's not of the bloody variety it's more of like situational horror too you know so it's not necessary but you know would we have frowned upon it if there were more there? Absolutely not, because that's the kind of shit that we love. But <laughs> but there's not much of it, and it's not necessary. So I think that's yeah. uh, hitting it dead on the head. So um, as far as next week is concerned, what we're going to be watching, well, we, we spun the wheel right before we went on the air. We all nominated one. We, we spun it, and it landed on uh, what ended up being Smoke's Choice, and that is A Clockwork Orange from 1971, because this is for Colt Corner. So... A definitive cult classic for sure. Another Stanley Kubrick movie. So the IMDb one-sentence synopsis is, In the future, a sadistic gang leader is imprisoned and volunteers for a conduct aversion experiment, but it doesn't go as planned. So get ready for the mind fuckery of A Clockwork Orange <laughs> next week here on The Spook Show. Man, it's been a, it's been at least 20 years or so since I've seen this movie. So I'm I'm definitely looking forward to checking it out myself. So... Another, yeah, it'll be awesome. Yeah, another great pull, another good selection for Colt Corner. So um that that'll pretty much wrap it up here for They Live. So we ended up giving it a consensus of four point six out of five stars. So it doesn't get much better than that. We highly recommend you go check it out. So for Will, who couldn't be with us, Donnie, Professor Smoke, Tiana, I'm Josh. We're from the All American Spook Show, and we'll talk to you next week for a Clockwork Orange, our latest Colt Corner.